said. Amen. Did you hear the story about a group of scientists who got together and they decided that man had come a long way, they no longer needed God. They picked one of their head colleagues to tell God that they were finished with him, that they didn't need him anymore. They learned, this learned scientist spoke to God saying, God, we're to the point that we can clone people, we can do many miraculous things medically, scientifically, you're just old and outdated, we don't need you anymore. So we've decided we don't have any need for you. And God listened patiently and then said, well, very well, how about this? Let's have a man-making contest between you scientists and me, the Lord. To which the scientists replied, okay, great. But God added, now we're going to do this <coughs> just like I did this in the beginning in the old days with Adam. And the scientist said, sure, Lord, no problem. So he bent down and he picked up a handful of dirt. And God stopped him and said, no, no, sir, you have to get your own dirt. Fundamentally, everything we see on this planet and in this universe had a beginning and an originator. And if so, who is this creator that we learn about in Scripture? This Gospel of John, these passages that Nate preached on last week, verses 1 and 2, tell us that Jesus is eternally God. Jesus was in the beginning. Jesus is the beginning. John's opening words to his gospel and introduction of Jesus say, in the beginning, and it suggests not only the start of the gospel story, but it remarks to the creation of the very world as well. John describes Jesus as existing, <coughs> excuse me, in the beginning. Jesus is the agent of Almighty God. You might say, Bo, what do you mean by that? In verse 3, we pick up our study this week. And the word says, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. As I studied this over the last couple of weeks, I had delved into the Gospel of John, especially this first chapter, more than I have at any other point in my time in my career. And I am struck by the fact that oftentimes we want to defend the Bible. The Bible doesn't defend itself. It simply makes a declaration and I am struck by this declaration. The Bible does not defend divine creation. It simply declares it. It says that it happened. In this verse, we find the next pair of words in our introduction of Jesus. Created and made. These words are highly significant. Christianity has always believed in what is called creation out of nothing. The Greek for ex nihilo. We don't believe that the world began with God and something else. It is our belief that behind everything, there is simply God and God alone. Are you with me? Only God creates something from nothing. He made his own dirt, so to speak, out of nothing. <clears throat> so let's dig a little bit deeper. John says, through him all things were made. John uses the words through him, not by him. And I think that's important. It reminds us that God is the source of all creation. But Jesus is the divine force that brought it into being. The words all things mean totality. Everything owes its existence to Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate source of all things. 
Everything you see with the naked eye, the stars, the planets, the sun, the galaxies, the trees, the mountains, the rivers, the oceans, the flowers, the animals, all the people that were created by God through Jesus. The word made literally means become or has become. It communicates the idea that creation, you, me, the entirety of the created order, we weren't just created, but we came into being at the word of Almighty God. And the verbs were and was, and the next phrase is perfect tense in Greek, which means a completed act. It is finished. It's not a process that's still ongoing, even though God is certainly at work in creation. Creation as we know it is a finished work. John continues by saying, without him nothing was made that has been made. John often states a truth in negative terms as well as a positive, so there would be no misunderstanding to the preceding phrase. What I mean by that is this, the word nothing denotes that not one thing has its existence, much less significance, except as a creative expression of Jesus Christ. And again, this emphasis is quite clear. Not one single thing was made that he did not make. Everything you see came into being through Jesus. Now let's put verse 3 into context with the ones that we studied last week. Out of the amazing relationship, word and God flowed creation. Word and God, the first pair of words, the created and made, the second pair of words. God is the source, but the word is the living agent, the vehicle through whom he creates. <clears throat> In verses 1 and 2, the main truth was that Jesus is almighty God. That's what Nate declared to us last week. In verses 3, the main truth and the third fact is Jesus is the creator and he alone can truthfully say, I made it. This fact is not an isolated truth particular to John. All throughout scripture, it declares this. Paul clearly states the same speaking of Jesus in Colossians. He says, for, all him, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. The author of Hebrews says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who am appointed heir of all things, and through him he made the, inter the universe. These are the facts. Now, you might say, is there any supporting evidence to verify these facts? In other words, if Jesus is the creator, are there some parallels between what happened at creation and the works of Christ during his earthly ministry? We should not expect to find exact parallels between the miracles of Jesus and what happened at creation, but there are some similar truths. With that in mind, let's look at a couple of these together. Jesus created out of nothing from existing materials. What I mean by that is creation involved the act of God bringing into being immediately and instantaneously matter which previously didn't exist. For example, God spoke and the heavens and the earth came into existence. Creation also involved the shaping, combining, the transforming of existing materials. So when God created Adam from the dust of the ground and Eve from Adam's rib, is there a parallel with Jesus? Several of his miracles that I studied this week 
involved the creation of new material. What I mean by that is this. <coughs> in John 2, Jesus is at a wedding reception where the wine had run out. At his mother's insistence, he instructed the waiters to fill six stone water jars that could hold up to 30 gallons each with water. So they filled them to the brim, and then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And as they did so, the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. Miraculously, the instantaneous creation out of nothing, the carbon atoms, the chemical molecules that made up the grape, the sugar, the carbon dioxide, the coloring matter, the wine had occurred out of nothing. Another example would be the one that we talk about quite often when we talk about our giving to the church, when Jesus fed the multitude of more than 5,000 men, plus the women and children, from only five loaves and two fish. He did this on another occasion, you'll remember, where he fed 4,000 men, plus the women and children, from seven loaves and a few little fish. He had bread and fish, but not enough by human standards to feed such a large crowd. So Jesus either calls these original items to multiply, or after dispensing all the original food, he then created new loaves and fishes until everyone was fed to the brim. Either way, Jesus created sufficient extra bread and fish until everyone had had enough. This involved just not the appropriate carbohydrate, protein, and other molecules, but for their immediate arrangement into the complex forms and structure, needed to make bread and fish, albeit it was already prepared for them. Still another example occurred in John 9 when Jesus healed the blind man and involved the instant repair of tissues, nerves, muscles, etc., and the instantaneous growth or regrowth of healthy cells. The net result was the creation of healthy eyes that replaced diseased ones. Jesus gives life. Just as in creation, Jesus continues to give life today. Creation involved the imparting the life of otherwise lifeless matter. And Jesus' method was speaking the word as it happened. As Nate mentioned last week, the method of creation that God spoke and it happened. God said, let there be light. And guess what? There was light. Night, the heavens, the earth, all of these things were accomplished by the word. That is, God said it, and it happened. Now, what are the implications? What are some theological truths that we can pull from this? One that I recognize this week is that Jesus has a claim on all things. This world is not yours. It belongs to Almighty God. My favorite old hymn that we used to sing as a child says, this is my father's world. And that is still the truth. Amen. Jesus is incomprehensible. There are certainly simple things that we can understand, but there are so many things in creation that are so beyond our ability to understand as finite human beings. I shared this with the youth on Wednesday, and I hope I can do a better job this morning of relating it to you than I did then. But if you consider the depth and the breadth of the universe, many of you are familiar with National Geographic. National Geographic describes the expanse of the universe 
in this way. Imagine that you had the thickness of a sheet of paper. Everybody see that? This represents, this thickness, that little thickness of this paper represents the distance from the earth to our sun, which is 93 million miles away. Using this scale, the distance to the nearest star is a 71-foot high stack of paper. The diameter of our own galaxy is a 310-mile stack of paper, while the edge of the known universe is not reached until that stack of paper is 31 million miles high. I say all that to say God through Jesus created all of that. And you were special enough that God through Jesus remembered to create you as well. I have a question for you this morning. How can we think of ourselves as so big and so important and oftentimes so prideful when the vastness of the universe is beyond our intellectual capacity? King David in the Psalms says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set into place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Jesus holds us together. Jesus said, I am not only the universe maker, but I will personally hold you together. I am big enough to be acquainted with all of your circumstances, all of your problems, all of your worries, all of your situations. He says, I will hold you together. Now, how do we know that to be true? One of the things I came across this week is by looking a little deeper into our bodies. Have any of you ever heard of the property called laminin? It's a protein molecule that's found in the human body. And guys, will you all pull that picture up, that first one? Do you all see this? To give you just a little bit of a science lesson, laminins are a family of proteins that are an integral part of the structural scaffolding of basement membranes in almost every animal tissue. Laminins are what literally hold us together. They are cell adhesion molecules. They are what holds one cell of our bodies to the next. And without them, we would literally fall apart. They are the rebar of the human body, the glue that holds us together. And if you've never seen what laminin looks like, what does that look like to you? How about pull that last picture up? Literally the glue that holds us together inside your body is in the shape of a cross. Paul would write, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven, things in earth, things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him he holds all things together. Thousands of years before doctors knew anything about laminin, 
The Apostle Paul penned those words. And in today's context, we see from a very literal standpoint that we are held together one cell to another by the shape of the cross. How in the world can you and I be worried about our struggles, about our frustrations, our setbacks, and life itself, knowing that Jesus literally is holding us together? There is nothing in my life that is greater than Jesus Christ. There is no problem that he cannot solve. Nothing that baffles me baffles him. Nothing that stumps me stumps him. We see his mark, the cross, within our body. We see it all around us. Jesus brings peace and comfort. God, through Jesus, has created the heavens and the earth. He has left his mark on all of creation. Has he left his mark? On you. Do you know him? Have you trusted in his finished work on the cross? If you consider life for just a moment and try to define it, if you try to put it into words, it is more than merely saying we are living beings. It is more than simply breathing or our heart pumping or our brain running. It is beyond our intellect to try to explain all the processes that must take place for you and I to live. It's overwhelming to consider what all is needing for us to truly say that we are alive. But Jesus knows, and even better, he is it. He started it. He created it. He fashioned it. He is life. If you take Jesus away, there is no life. If you consider light for just a moment, can you imagine the moment when light bursts forth to overwhelm the darkness? For the most part, we have never known total darkness. But if you can picture in your mind and think about the fear and the anxiety that comes with being in the dark, if you can feel your heart racing and your palms sweating, your body shaking, then imagine God saying, let there be light and light bursting forth into the darkness. Think about a blind person that receives their sight might have an inkling of this transcendent moment. I read of a blind man who gained sight later in his life and he said that I never knew that red was so vibrant, that the sunsets were so beautiful, the grass was so green, and the smiles were so precious. Yet Jesus was there. He ignited the light. John wrote, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not understand it. In this verse, in these two words, Jesus saying, I will show you the way to Almighty God. But if we're honest, we often take these two benefits, life and life, for granted. For example, when's the last time you went to bed wondering if you were going to get up? Many times we give little thought to our end unless we are threatened or deathly ill. When was the last time you went to bed wondering if the sun would come up the next morning? We pretty much count on the sun to rise and light bulbs to work. Life and light are givens. So when John says that Jesus is life and light, we sort of treat it as ho-hum, it's no big deal. But could John be referring to something more than just physical life and rays of light. 
Life and light are the two basic words on which John's introduction to Jesus is presented. Jesus is the life giver. John says in him was life. John uses the term life 36 times in his gospel alone. (coughs) Jesus says time and again that he is the giver of life, the author of life. To Martha, as her brother Lazarus lay dead in the tomb, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. To Thomas, who was bewildered about death and the afterlife, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. To the crowd of people, Jesus utters, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Not only that, Jesus is the light bearer. John continues, that life was the light of men. Now in the Greek, both life and light carry the same definite article. What I mean by that is this. This phrase could be translated as it is printed that life was the light of men or that light was the life of men. Either way works. Either way is true. Just as John links life with Christ, so does he link light with Christ. Just as the first creation began with let there be light, So the new creation begins with the entrance of light into the heart of the believer. The coming of Christ into the world was the dawning of a new day for us as sinful creatures. John uses the word light 21 times in his gospel. He said on two occasions, Jesus did, I am the light of the world. To the people of John's day, light was symbolic of deity. The rabbis would use light as a name for the Messiah that was promised to come. And when John said Jesus is the light, he is literally claiming that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. It was another way of saying that Jesus is God. Over against light and life is darkness. In John's story, Jesus is the hero and darkness is the villain. John continues, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not understand it. The darkness stands as the antithesis to light and life. Darkness stands for life without Christ, and especially for that which has turned its back on Christ. With one word, with darkness, John introduces Satan, who is called the power of darkness. This struggle between the Lord and Satan is revealed. And in fact, Satan strives to keep people in the dark because darkness means death and hell, while the light means life and heaven. The word not understood simply means that the world can't understand the demands of Christ. We see over and over again in John's gospel that the people will not understand what Jesus is saying and doing, and as a result, they will oppose him. And in the end, they kill him for their misunderstanding and their sinfulness. But the words not understand can mean also not overcome. A reminder that Satan and the forces of darkness will not overcome. Try as they might, darkness cannot extinguish the light. On that Friday, as the people killed Jesus, it appeared that Satan and darkness had won. But the light rose victorious. And we share in that. Now what does all this talk about light and life and darkness mean to us today? Jesus gives you something you could never get on your own. 
The point that John is making is that Jesus has brought us physical life, but he also wants to give us eternal life. We may know life as humans understand it. We can be breathing, our heart pumping, but not have everlasting life. The life that Jesus gives is infinitely and eternally different than the life that we possess now. He wants to give you something that you can never earn or get on your own, and that's eternal life. And the clearest statement that Jesus made about this gift is often the most quoted and the most endearing verse that John shares. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, I got to thinking this week, we're a curious folk. I have tried my dead level best over the last couple of months to eat a little bit better, to exercise a little bit more, to prolong this life. We will do anything and everything we can to do that, won't we? This time of year, you see oil of Olay and you see different beauty creams, Estee Lauder, all those things you ladies love to wear to take away your eye creams and all these things to take away your wrinkles and things of that sort. We will exercise, eat the right diet, sleep the appropriate number of hours. We'll buy training watches just to be able to track the amount of hours that we sleep. When we're sick, we'll go see Dr. Shank. We'll run tests and prescribe medication and treatment. And if those don't work, we'll try alternative approaches. But I want to tell you a, a simple fact is today is that at some point in time, we're going to die. Years ago in preparing for a funeral sermon, I needed some information about the family of the person that, that passed away. And I, I didn't have this information in my notes for meeting with them. So I went to the Hartzell Funeral Home site, and I had done this many times before. But on this day, I, I was struck by something that was so obvious. Under the deceased person's name were the words birth date and death date. And every one of those, every one of us will have one of those. We'll have a beginning, and we will have an end. It's unavoidable. If I could show you a graphic, it would look like this, a line with a beginning and an end. We do every can, everything we can to increase the length of this line, but it will end. And all the while, Jesus wants to give us something which we can never earn on our own. And that life looks so much different. Because it's a line that has a beginning and an end, but one that continues. We have eternal life through Christ. Death does not mean that we have left something behind. It simply means that we have changed residences. Jesus wants to give you something better than you deserve. Not only does Jesus give you something that you can never get on your own, which is eternal life, he gives you something better than you deserve right now, and that's abundant life. Here's the twist. Not only does Jesus promise to give us eternal life, meaning that when we die, we live with him for eternity. Imagine if this arrow continued going on unabridged forever. 
But before that happens, he promises y'all to give us an enhanced life while here on the earth. The life that he gives is not only eternal, it's abundant. Jesus would go on to say in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He quantifies this life. The phrase have it to the full is translated abundantly, overflowing. The word means to have a superabundance of a thing. It carries with it the idea of overflowing the container more than we can handle. The fishnet overflowing as they tried to pull it into the boat. <coughs> it takes the characteristics of vitality, meaning energy, purpose, significance, outlook, hope, joy. In our modern vernacular, we could say that Jesus gives us an upgrade on life. How many of you like upgrades? How many of you have rented a Ford Escort, and when you got to the rental car place, you found out that they didn't have the Ford Escort, they only had a Maserati? Are you with me? How many of you have showed up to a single full-bed hotel, and all that was left was the honeymoon suite? Oh, by the way, you got an upgrade. We like upgrades. We want upgrades. Maybe you've never thought of it this way before. But the life that Jesus gives is an upgrade. He upgrades us from despair to hope, from bondage to freedom, from perplexity to peace, from illness to health. He, his most significant upgrade for us is moving us from a predicament of lostness to the paradise of, of salvation, from a destination of hell to heaven. And while we don't deserve it, he gives it. And who doesn't want eternal life? Who doesn't want abundant life? If we have any sense, we should say, Lord, point me to it. Jesus shows us where to go when we can never find it on our own. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the life. He says in John 12, I have come into this world so that the blind will see. Jesus is the light that restores us from spiritual darkness. As the band comes back on stage, I'll share this with you. While on maneuvers, the battleship looked out and noted a light way out in the dark, foggy night over the sea. After noting the light's coordinates, the captain recognized that his ship was right on a collision course with this other vessel. And the captain instructed, signal that ship, we're on a collision course. I advise you to change course 20 degrees. The return signal countered, I advise you to change your course 20 degrees. The captain signaled in a very petty way, I'm a captain, dang it. You change course 20 degrees. The response was, I'm a seaman second class. You better change your course 20 degrees. And this went back and forth, back and forth for a few moments. And then finally the captain ordered, dang it, I'm a battleship. Change course 20 degrees. To which the final response was, I'm a lighthouse. You make the call. 
Friends, I want to tell you this morning, without Christ, we are like a ship lost on the open sea in a dense fog, groping for the eternal shore, waiting with beating heart for someone to dispel the darkness with the light of salvation. Y'all, this is what Jesus has done. He has provided the light and the darkness of our sin, our doomed existence, so that we can see God and be rescued from our ill-fated damnation. And not only that, he gives us peace for today. How many of you this morning could say, Bo, I really could use the Christmas gift of peace in my life? Are you walking in that light today? Or are you still in darkness? Do you need to change your course 20 degrees so that you don't run into the shore? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. These benefits of eternal life, abundant life, and spiritual life only exist in an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. In him was life. Jesus, or John uses the word in him, not by him or through him. In other words, the life that Jesus brings, both quantity and quality, does not exist apart from a relationship with him. <coughs> Jesus says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Life is entered by no other than Jesus himself. Physical life is granted to all who are living eternal, abundant, and spiritual life while offered to all is only possessed by those who trust in Christ. Life has one source, one spiritual eyesight is obtained one way, and heaven can only be entered through one cross. And the single means of life and admission is the life and the light of Jesus Christ. So what do we have to do? Spiritual eyesight is only obtained one way in the single means of admission is life and light through Jesus do you need peace this Christmas I encourage you to pray for it do not allow the enemy to take it from you friends I share with you that darkness may last for a night but joy comes in the morning and praise God the morning is here. Amen. If you have not been told in a while, you have eternal worth. The life and the light that Christ gave, he gave up on the cross, and it cost the royal son of God every red ounce of blood in his body. But you are worth it. The same God that created the heavens and the earth remembered to create a you. Do not ever for one minute think that you do not matter. Do not ever for one minute think that you are not significant in the eyes of Almighty God. Darkness may last for a night, but I swear that the morning comes. And at Christmas, the morning is here. Amen. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, Lord, I just stop. I thank you for these, my dear friends. I thank you for this time in this season in life. Lord, I ask God that you would bless us. 
that you would give us abundance, that you would give us strength and peace, that you would help us to find the lighthouse in a dark and dreary sea. Father, I pray that these friends this morning would know that their lives are significant, that they have purpose and meaning, that they are cared for beyond a shadow of a doubt and beyond any stretch or measure of the imagination. Father, thank you for this Christmas season to be reminded once again, whether it's for the millionth time in our lives or for the first time, that we have purpose through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In him was life and in him was light. Point us to him, Father. We ask this in the name that is above every name, the name that at the sound every knee shall bow and every tongue confess is Lord above all. Jesus, our Christ.